0: It's a matter of life and death. You've heard that cliche before. It's a a cliche that's used often when there's an issue that we have to decide upon that will determine whether there will be life or death. As a father, I've used this phrase many times before. I'll be inside watching the big game. My kids will run inside and they will air their frustrations with each other wanting me to be the arbitrator of their disagreement. And I will say, just go outside and don't bother me unless it's a matter of life and death. I also found out soon after marriage that leaving dirty dishes in the sink is also a matter of life and death. There's a place for those things. You put them in the dishwasher, or you wash them and you put them in the dish drainer. Amen? But then there are actual times when we use this phrase in its proper context. The doctor comes into the waiting room and he gives a report to the family. And he says we must act quickly because your father is in serious condition and it's a matter of life and death. Just a couple of days ago, there was, uh, or just a couple days after the Orlando massacre where 49 people were murdered, there was a, a hostage situation in Texas where a gunman was taken out by the SWAT team. Everyone in that situation, too, understood that the decisions they were making in that moment was a matter of life and death. There's a weight upon us when we're in situations like that our world is unsettled and it's becoming increasingly hostile it's hard to even watch a peewee baseball game without parents getting upset and swearing at one another so my prophetic word for today is this we are at a crossroads in our lives a crossroads in our time our day and time Either we, the church of the Lord Jesus, will respond to the crises of our time with the spirit of love and truth, or we will add fuel to the fire by returning hatred for hatred. We're either going to be a hand of healing or a hand of hostility. The choice we make really matters. In fact, it's a matter of life and death. Today we're talking about Jesus being the difference between life and death. So the question I have is, is how is he the difference between life and death for us? What is it that he does that makes a difference? How is it that he measures up in this way? The Apostles' Creed is a, a historical document that was put together a long time ago, and what it is is a summary of the teaching of the Apostles. The apostles themselves did not actually write this creed as we know it today, but it is believed that every one of the apostles attributed to the contents of the creed by their teachings and their writings that we hold to in the scriptures right now. The purpose of the creeds are simple. I'll review them. There're four quick ones. A purpose of a creed is number 1 is to be a brief overview of Christianity. It's to just Give us a broad scope quickly. What is it that we believe in? The second one is this. It protects us from false versions of Christianity. If we know this to be the true Christianity, when something comes in and it doesn't line up with the creed as we know is true, then we know that we reject it because it is a false gospel. The third one is this. The the creeds strengthen our faith as we focus on different areas of Christianity. See, this creed covers a a broad stroke of Christianity as well. Instead of just focusing on maybe forgiveness or focusing on reconciliation or just focusing on healing or whatever it might be, it causes us to grow in our faith and mature and have a more rounded understanding of what it is we believe. And the fourth thing about the creed is it teaches us that we belong. This goes back centuries How amazing is it to know that we, when we confess this, we join in with the body of Christ that goes back so far, even to the days of Christ himself. It brings power. When we believe, we belong. I want to give us three ways that Jesus is and how we know he is the difference between life and death. And the first one is this. Jesus is the chosen one. He's the chosen one. At the center of, a, of the Christian faith is a person. A lot of other religions have isms, where they would have maybe a founder who would put these teachings together, but that founder eventually died. And now, to follow that religion, you follow the isms or the teachings, the tenets of that belief system, that faith. But the core of our faith as Christians isn't isms or tenets or doctrines simply for us to follow, but the core of our faith is a person, the live Son of God. The center of our faith is Jesus. He's alive, he's not dead, and it is the only religion where we worship our God as living and risen from the dead. It stands alone. Christianity is the only one in the world. The word from the Apostles' Creed we look at here, it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. That's what we're looking at. We get this, he's a chosen one from this part here. Jesus Christ is what we get. The word Christ means Messiah. Many times we just naturally think, oh, that was just part of his name, Jesus Christ. But Christ means Messiah. Technically, when we see that, we should think Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Did you know that the name Jesus by itself means God saves? So without the Christ in there, just the name Jesus means God saves. So when the angel told Joseph that he was going to name this child Jesus, he was giving us a glimpse into the purposes for this child. The disciples, uh, which are the followers of Jesus, they knew who Jesus was too. They struggled, though, to understand what fully his his role was and how this Messiah card was going to be played. They didn't grasp at everything until after the resurrection, but even before the resurrection, they were using the word Messiah very early on. Look with me in John chapter 1, verse 40 and 41. It says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and he first found, excuse me, he found first his own brother Simon, and he said to him, We have found the what? The Messiah. And the translators put in there for us, which translated means Christ. So, very early on, when they were with Jesus, they were like, We have found the one, the Messiah, the Christ. So, Christ means Messiah and also literally means anointed one. Anointed. In the Old Testament, the word anointed meant they would. Literally, put oil on the person's head, and they would anoint them. And it was a, a mark that was singling them out. They were singled out by God as this very special person of, of great importance. Samuel twenty four six refers to the king as the Lord's anointed. The basic sense of the word Messiah could be said that he is the divinely appointed king of Israel. And as time passed, it came to mean more than just someone set apart for great importance. It came to mean the Deliverer, the Messiah himself, a descendant of King David who would restore Israel to its golden age. And this is who Jesus is, the Anointed One, the Chosen One, the Messiah. There's actually enough historical evidence to prove that Jesus existed as a person, To satisfy any skeptic as long as they're open to the idea that it's possible. Josephus is a historian and had much evidence about the proof that Jesus lived. Outside the Bible, there's lots of non Christian sources. But believing that Jesus existed as a person is not what being a Christian is. Just acknowledging that, yeah, that's that's who he was and, and that's what he did is not what being a Christian is. There are central truths and beliefs that you must adopt in order to become a follower, a child of God, a Christian. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. That is one of those beliefs that you must believe on. One reason Jesus is able to to be the difference between life and death for us is that he is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one. So that's the first point. Jesus is the chosen one. The second point is this. Jesus is equal to God. Jesus is equal to God. The, the second phrase in the, or the second part of this phrase is, I believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, his only son, and it's speaking his, is referring to God the Father in the previous line, God the Father's only Son. So basically what, not basically, what we're saying here is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what this means. It means different things in the scriptures, though. In different places, depending on how the word is used or how that phrase is used, it's translated differently. For example, some of the Old Testament scripture, the phrase is occasionally used to refer to an angelic or a supernatural person in Job and Psalm and other places. The Old Testament also refers to the coming Messiah, though, as the Son of God. So it changes, and, and it does point to the coming Messiah. For example, in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, you'll see here, it says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. This is a messianic text speaking forward to the Christ. And in Psalm 89, verses 26 and 27, it says, He will cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So we see, even in the Old Testament, with this word, Son of God, is referring to the Christ. The, The Father has this Son. In the New Testament, It's used to highlight this special relationship that God the Father has with God the Son. This is unique. It's unlike anything else. There's no one that has a relationship with God the Father like God the Son. In Mark chapter 1, verse 11, we see this at Jesus' baptism. After he's baptized, a voice came out of the heavens and says, You are my beloved Son, In you, I am well pleased. Jesus directly refers to God in other texts as his Father. He uses an Aramaic term, Abba. Not to be confused with the 1970s group that sings Dancing Queen, that's Abba. You see Mamma Mia for them. But the Aramaic word that's translated into Abba is an endearing term. On Father's Day today, when my children told me Happy Father's Day, they didn't come up to me and say, Father, have a glorious day on this Father's Day. They said, Hey, Dad, Happy Father's Day. I'm Dad. It's an affectionate term. For Jesus to call God the Father, Dad, reveals to us that there is a special bond and relationship that far exceeds what others have with God the Father. When we believe in Jesus, we enter into a special relationship with God the Father as well. We are adopted as children of God when we place our faith in Jesus. And we have full rights as His children, full heirs to the throne of God. But Jesus was the natural child of God, while all of us were naturally born into sinfulness and then supernaturally grafted into God's family. Now we have full access to the Father, but it was this special relationship that Jesus had with the Father that gives us that privilege. In this creed, when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ... His only Son, here's what we're saying. With clarity and with a deep conviction, listen carefully, we are saying Jesus is God. That might not seem terribly important, but it's huge. It means everything. It's a matter of life and death. During this season of Ramadan, Muslims all over the city are fasting. From sunrise to sunset, they fast from food and drink and other things. And while it is fair and good and accurate to say that Islam and Christianity worship one God, it is not at all acceptable to say that we worship the same God. This is a very controversial statement extremely volatile, especially in our city. And we should be careful how, and we should be careful when we say what we believe, and that there is a difference here. There's no reason for you to go out today and start shouting in the streets and in your homes that we don't worship the same God. In fact, I want to sum it up as quickly as I can right now using God's Holy Spirit, hopefully, and His wisdom. It is insulting to Muslims to insinuate that we worship the same God they do. It is also insulting to Christians to insinuate that Muslims worship the same God as I do. I've had conversations with Muslim friends before about this, and we actually have pretty good, decent conversations that lead to dialogue, that don't lead to hostility, But the conclusion is the same. We don't agree. There are truths that we both hold and claim as true that don't line up. Christian faith says very clearly, Jesus is the Son of God. And unfortunately, for many Christians, Muslims understand this better than we do. I've had many conversations, and they will flat out say, "Well, Jesus was a prophet, and he was a good man. But he was not the Son of God. So we cannot be worshiping the same God if we believe in different gods. As Christians, we say Jesus is God, which means he is the Son of God. Those are the same thing, they're synonymous. Saying Jesus is the Son of God means he is God. Either Christians or Muslims are wrong. But if these are the tenets and the truths of our faith, we can't both be right. You've heard the phrase before, or the, not a phrase, but an illustration where people say, well, you know, God's like a, an elephant. And there's these blind people walking along, and they come up to the elephant, and they, one of them grabs the trunk, and he's, exp- I mean, the leg, and he's like, oh, this is, this is, God's like a big tree, you know, it's just this strong, massive tree, and that's who God is. And you go to another blind man over here, and he, he grabs a tail. He's like, No, 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 no. God's like a snake, a big snake, and he's holding the tail like this. And there's another blind man, he's over here, and he's got the, the trunk, and I guess maybe it's a bigger snake, maybe a boa constrictor. I don't know, like a big snake. Yeah, it's a big snake. It's a big snake up here. One's got the ears, and he's like, No, 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 he's this big flat, whatever. And so they're all coming with these different perspectives of who God is. And worldly wisdom says, Well, This is how religion is. God is up there, and we're all just trying to find Him on our own paths. And it sounds good until you realize that they're all wrong. It's an elephant. There's a a desire that we have, and we're, we're starving in our culture. Who among us doesn't want unity and peace if we took a poll right now and we said do you want world peace i would almost well i would almost guarantee but i know some of you have messed with it but if we were doing it for real and i said how many of you want world peace i think there would be a hundred percent we want peace we don't want hostility we're not the only ones that want this either but the way to peace is not compromising Christian faith. The way to peace is to worship the Lord Jesus, to love him with all of our heart, and to love everyone with the sacrificial love of Jesus regardless of their response to the gospel and regardless of their response to us. Paul said in Romans, he said, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with one another. Our disagreement with other religions, whoever they are, is never a reason for us to feel superior to them. That's not the gospel. The only reason, as Christians, we have been grafted into the family of God is by God's grace. If any of us feel superior to other religions, then we need some gospel counseling. Because it's only God's grace that allows us to become children of God. Instead of our differences driving a a wedge in between us and our neighbor, our differences should drive us to pray for them and to pray for gospel opportunities to share this great news with our neighbors, that they can be free and they can have life because God loved them so much that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in them will not perish, but they will have eternal life. That's the good news that we've been entrusted with. So how do you respond when you disagree with your neighbors about religion? How do you respond when you disagree with them about anything? How do you respond if they are critical of you, and they insult you, your personhood, or insult someone you love? Well, here's how Jesus responds, the Son of God. He responds by taking all of his power as the Son of God, equal to God. He takes all of it, and he lays it down to serve his enemies and to give them life. And before we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are the worst of God's enemies. Jesus, in his righteousness, in his perfection, being equal to God, has a right to just wipe us away and say, forget you, you blew it, you had your chance. He has the power to do that as well. But instead, he comes to us while we are fuming and while we were hating him, while we're blaming him for our miserable lives, while we curse him, while we deny him, or while we're worshiping false gods, while we're chasing the pleasure of sin, or whether we're ignoring him. And we're just fine with life because... Things are going great. We don't need a conversation or relationship with our Creator. We have everything we want. In all those scenarios, the Lord Jesus comes to us, and He surrenders His rights and His sonship for us. He responds with love to our hatred by giving up His status as son to give us the status of child of God. How is it that Jesus is the difference between life and death? He's God's only Son. He is equal to God. The third reason is here Jesus is Lord of our lives. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. First there's the Messiah, then there's the Son of God, and now our Lord is used to refer to Jesus, these three titles. The Old Testament is filled with this word, this word Lord. It's used time and time again to refer to God, and the writers of the Old Testament were very reluctant to write this word and to use the name directly for God, and so they made a cipher for him, four letters, Y-W, excuse me, Y-H-W-H. It's referred to as a tetragrammaton. If you've had a King James Version, and you see this word translated, you would see the word Jehovah in there. The newer translations have the word Yahweh. When the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew to Greek, the Greek word Kyrios was used. That translation is Lord, the Greek word. The historian Josephus records the Jews refused to call the Roman emperor Kyrios because they regarded that name only for who? for God. We're not going to call you that. That's a name reserved only for God, the one true God. So what we're saying here now is Jesus is Lord. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, it says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And he gets very specific here. This Jesus whom you crucified. So, a word that was once reserved for God alone, that was not even pronounceable, they wouldn't even utter it. They, they wouldn't even write it down. They made their own little acronym, if you will, or uh, what do I call that word? Or tetragrammaton. That's hard to say. I only tried to say it once, but now I've exposed myself. It's hard to say. Tetragrammaton. It's, it's hard to, this word that was only referred for God or reserved for Him to use is now being used to. Describe Jesus. And the emphasis on these verses that I have here and some other ones as well is not Jesus or Lord, Lord Jesus, but Jesus, kind of like Christ. Jesus the Lord. Not a Lord, but the Lord. The confession that we make is Jesus is Lord. And that was one of the earliest Christian creeds that we are aware of. Jesus is Lord. And it's clearly regarded by Paul as a powerful summary of the gospel. Jesus is Lord. A summary of the gospel. Christians are those who call upon the name of the Lord. Look with me in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. He said, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who will call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul knew exactly what word what name to call Jesus. He said it again in Romans, or 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. At the beginning of the letter, he says, To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our what? Say it louder. Our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. What Paul is saying, he's affirming Jesus' lordship over us. The authority that he has over. Saying Jesus' is lord was infuriating to the Jews of that day. Now we, we have to be careful how we talk about things, don't we? Isn't that the culture we live in? We have to watch our words. We have to be careful how and when we present them. I think that's good. I think we should be careful how and when we should do it. I do. I think we should be careful and cautious in how we present the gospel to people. We should use all wisdom. As Paul said, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace. But we do have to be careful. Because just because saying Jesus is Lord infuriates people doesn't give us reason to deny it in fact we have find precedent to be true to the gospel in the scriptures most of the apostles died because of their faith in christ because they said jesus is lord they were executed they didn't go out with guns blazing and trying to send everyone that was against them trying to send them to hell before they died What they did is they died like Jesus died. They loved God with all their hearts, with all their soul and all their mind. And they did it while proclaiming the good news that Jesus has brought deliverance. God has brought salvation to the world. And it's not an idea of things we're to follow, but it's a person. And I believe this so much that I am willing to die for this. I believe in the risen Lord Christ. I I have seen him. The Lord Jesus has risen from the dead. And no matter what you do to me, I will not turn my back on him. I feel too often we look into these scriptures and we and we feel like they were being belligerent to the crowd. I don't think that was the case. I think they were being faithful to the Lord. I don't think they were were coming in trying to start arguments. So I'm not suggesting myself or you to go out and look to pick fights. But I am suggesting and I am proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. He's the Son of God, He is the one. If we take away that, why are we here today? What are we doing at this table in a few moments as we come and take communion? If we deny this, we deny God. If we deny Jesus, we will never worship the one true God. Do you feel the weight of that? Millions of people in our city deny Jesus. Does it bother you? I'll confess, it should bother me a lot more than it does. One of the convictions God has, and He does this frequently, whenever I allow Him to, and I'm not obstinately rebellious, Sometimes God reveals something to you in your heart and you're just like, eh, I'll deal with that later. But he's revealed to me this week that there's a fire within me that's kind of died down quite a bit. And he's rekindling it this week. Do you know why? Because I've been studying this Apostles' Creed and it's reminded me of the truth that we have. Jesus Christ is the one. He is the Son of God. He is equal to God, and He is the Lord of all. Today, we face the same hostility that the apostles faced. More Christians die for their faith in Jesus today than ever before. The battle is not over, but your response and my response is critical in revealing the sincerity of our faith. How you respond reveals the sincerity of your faith. Is Jesus truly the Lord and the Master, or is He the one that just helps me feel better about myself? Is He truly the Son of God and worthy of our total worship, or or do we limit Him by only acknowledging Him as as a friend of sorts that we can just wear around our necklace? Is He really the promised one, the anointed one, or can we just include Him with all the other religions and belief systems? The answer to those questions matter. In fact, you might even say they're a matter of life and death. The reason Jesus is the difference between life and death compels you and me to place our faith in him as Lord and Savior acknowledging him as messiah this jesus is the promised one of god and the chosen deliverer to take us from death to eternal life this jesus is god himself in flesh he is worthy of worship as lord he's not simply a messenger of god but he is god he is the lord of our earth and as a christian He is the Lord of our lives. This Jesus, the one I just described, that the Bible gives to us very clearly, who has all of these superior qualities. Stay with me. All of these superior qualities that if we were with him and we saw him in his majesty, we would fall flat down on our faces like Isaiah did in chapter 6. We would tremble with fear in the midst of his glory. This magnificent, this powerful, this creator of the world became the difference between life and death by taking this powerful life and giving it on the cross to experience the death that you and I deserved. He literally is the difference between life and death. There is no one outside of Jesus. If we do not believe and trust in Him for our salvation we will experience the wages of sin and death in its fullest measure. Acts chapter 4, verse 8 and following. Peter is giving a sermon here. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, they had healed someone, and people were mad about it because... I guess maybe they owned hospitals and they were taking away the probably health insurance coverage or something. Probably Obama. let blame Obama. Obama cares what it was, I'm sure. It's the popular thing now. If we were on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, "...whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He, Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven." that has been given among men by which we must be saved. As Christians, we we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. We confess Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, our Lord. Then we enter into a powerful relationship with God that takes us from death to life. Jesus breathes life into us gives us power over death. It gives us power over sin. And I hope this is your profession today because once you come out from under the weight of death and you experience the life-giving grace of Jesus, wow, what a difference it makes in your life. Too many of us as Christians, if you're here today and you're believing on the name of Jesus, too many of us believe the lies of the deceiver. And we have this new, abundant life in Christ where we're freed from sin, where we have power, where we have reconciliation with God, where we have peace with one another, but we don't live within it because we're still of the old mindset. There's a struggle within us to believe the full depth of the gospel. And this creed, I hope, as a Christian, you will aspire and commit memorizing it because it will grow you in your faith and you'll start to realize what you do have in the gospel and when you have Jesus he is the difference between life and death and you don't walk in this world as dead men or dead women but you walk as people who are alive as children of God who are loved by him empowered by him and indwelled by his holy spirit is that exciting Isn't that amazing that God would bring dead bones to life? We serve a wonderful God. Do not, do not forget who Jesus is. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son and our Lord. May that be your profession this week. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the name above all names. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as your church, as a church here today, that one day is already here. This is our confession to you today. You are our Lord. For those hearing this who lack faith in Jesus as Lord, I pray that you would give them repentance and saving faith in you draw their hearts to you with your irresistible grace. May we all see you as you are, the Christ, the only Son of God, and the only Lord. We worship you. Amen. Amen.